0: Well, uh, hello again. Uh, I think I've met all of you by now. My name is Matt Schneider, and the clergy staff here. And um, I know some some of you've been coming for a little while. You're not exactly uh, newcomers, but um, I mean, if you are, or um, if you're here for any reason, I just want to say like how glad I am you guys are here and um, y'all are here. I'm from California, um, so I say you guys. Um, I'm learning the y'all though. Um, but uh so delighted to be with you and um you know we we we're teaching content here, and sometimes I feel like we're sort of cramming some like a lot of knowledge uh, too much and I think I have too much material today. Um, forgive me for that. I do want to leave some time for q and A at the end. Um, I have no delusions that like you're going to learn everything and be able to sort of spout it back to me by the end. It's sort of a primer you know, to get you acquainted with what the advent believes some of you might at least the leadership of the church, the clergy, the staff, our vestry. These are the the theology um, that we espouse around here. And, you know, the idea is to get you acquainted with that, um, to give you an understanding of uh, what kind of church we are and uh, to share what we think is, um, you know, uh, the truth and really good news. Uh, And so today uh, the lesson is about people. Last time Um, Brandon talked about the nature of God. Um, we talked about the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, and a lot of prevailing, uh, um, ideas out there in the world that are against the idea of the Trinity that give us a false understanding of God. Um, and so today, if we learned about the nature of God last time, I want to talk about human nature. Um, because in order to understand salvation, the Gospel, which will be the lesson next time, the Good News, you have to understand the problem. You have to understand the bad news. Um, so today, if you leave with a dark cloud of pessimism and feel depressed, <laughs> come back next week um, because we'll talk about the answer. You know, if if Jesus is the answer, what's the question? Let's dig the hole so we can fill it. Um, and just as a lot of there's a lot of sort of talk out there. About the nature of god that 's problematic there 's a lot of talk out there about the nature of people in the world and i 'm not just talking about the church and Christianity and other religions, just sort of the way people talk about people um, usually tends to be uh, much more optimistic than what reality is and the picture that the Bible at least paints for us. Um, I always bring in a prayer from the prayer book to start us, uh, to get us more acquainted with uh, the prayer book and see that the doctrine that we're talking about here is uh, put into practice in the prayer book uh, in terms of our prayers. And this is the confession to our morning prayer service. If you were at the nine o'clock just before and next week, if you go to the 11 o'clock, this is the confession, um, we'll say Um Restore thou those who are penitent, according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord, and grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life, to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. Amen. Um, a lot of people don't like that prayer because it says there is no health in us, there's no health in us, and we are miserable offenders, uh, that sounds too negative and pessimistic. Um but I find it actually really refreshing, because <laughs> it's diag- the, the diagnosis is, I think, correct. So let me talk about that. Um, I'm just bringing a story uh, for you. I subscribe to this magazine. Um, if you don't have a lot of time to sort of read the news, this is a great magazine. It aggregates the news for the week. That's why it's called the week. But at the very end, they usually have an essay um, from some longer form of journalism out there in the world. And they actually abridge it. But um, this essay is called America's Improbable Pillow Canes, about this guy who uh, started a company called My Pillow, which I'd never heard of. Have you? Okay, well, there you go. Apparently, it's massively popular. He's now a millionaire, but he wasn't several years ago. And this is why. This is how it starts. As so many uh, entrepreneurial success stories do, the tale of Mike Lindell uh, begins in a crack house. It was the fall of 2008, and the then 47-year-old divorced father of four from Minneapolis uh, from the Minneapolis suburbs had run out of crack again. He had been up uh, for either 14 or 19 days trying to save his struggling startup and making regular trips into the city to visit his dealer, Ty. This time, Lindell arrived at Ty's apartment and received a shock instead. The dealer refused his business. Ty wasn't going to sell him any more crack until he ended his binge. He'd also called the two other dealers Lindell used and ordered them to do the same. Many people would be ashamed by this story, but Lindell tells it all, this, all the time. I was like, wow, drug dealers care,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> he says. Uh, the moment wasn't uh, the end of his drug abuse, which started in his 20s when he owned bars and uh and stretched through the early years of my pillow the Chaska uh Minnesota company he founded in 2005 to fulfill his dream of making the world's best pillow it was however his low point it was when he vowed to get better um, i uh I posit to you that we're all actually more like Mike Lindell than we'd like to admit. That we're all sort of a half step away from being a crack addict on a 14- to 19-day binge going to our drug dealer. Uh, you know, whatever it is for you, it's probably something else. It's probably not a crack addiction. But there you have it. Here's a middle-class white guy who's now a millionaire who was addicted to a very uh, terrible drug and was at... um the depths of woe at this point, so much so that his drug dealer recognized it and said, no more for you, and called all the other drug dealers in town and said, don't sell to this guy. Um, And I find addiction a helpful way to think about human nature. I put up here anthropology. That's a theological term that we use to talk about people. When uh, When we say anthropology, we're talking about human nature theologically, not the academic discipline of anthropological studies. Um, And I find addiction helpful for understanding human nature because we're all addicts in some way. Mm -hmm. And the 12 steps from AA and now used in um, other recovery programs, the 12 steps of recovery, do you know about that? Um, Are actually a really helpful outline um, uh, for, for understanding this dilemma. And so I've had that handout that I gave you. I put the first four steps. Um, and uh, because I think they're sort of applicable to what I want to talk to you about today. If, you, if you're not familiar with them, uh, these you know, were created in the early half of the 20th century for alcoholics to be a recovery program. There's religious sort of element to it, although it's not specifically Christian. The idea was that people could um, map on to the 12 steps their own sort of religious uh, background or one that they arrive at. Um, Are you familiar with this, probably? So here's the first step of uh, the 12 steps. In order to even begin recovery, this is what needs to happen. We admitted we were powerless over alcohol. And you can fill in crack or my ideas about my children, uh, my career, um, ice cream. (laughs) We admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. I mean, think of Mike Lindell. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. And by this, in the Christian church, we'd say the Trinitarian God through the mediations of Jesus Christ. Um, number three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Number four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Um, and, you know, I think that the Anglican sort of a prayer book and worship services that we participate in kind of operate through those four steps. If you're paying attention, things like the call it for purity, um, the, the prayer that we say at the beginning of our communion service certainly um, helps us to make a searching and fearless moral inventory if we're taking it seriously. But you see, Mike Lindell, at the, the, the very last sentence that I read to you here, he says it was, however, his low point. It was when he vowed to get better. He's at the sort of rock bottom point where you might get, you might recognize step one as something you need. Um, and uh, as I said, I think um, all people are this way, especially when it comes to our our, um, our relationship with God. That we're all um, alienated from God because. There is an ideal that God commands, and we do not live up to it. And that ideal has been uh, uh, codified for us in God's law, uh, most specifically in the Ten Commandments. But then Jesus talks about those laws in the New Testament. He gives a summary of the law that basically says, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. It sort of boils down to that, and, and, and we fall short. And so um, I want to uh, read to you, read with you the Decalogue. This is what we go through in um, uh, 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 worship services um, sometimes. Uh, if you go to the 7:30, we do this the first Sunday of the month. We do this the fourth Sunday of the month at the five o'clock. And I think we'll do it today, the first Sunday of Lent at the 11 a.m. service, is liturgically use the Ten Commandments. And notice the response after we read every single piece of God's law. And I'll read the, the light-colored parts and where it says all in bold. Can you just read back? And notice that the last one, you'll get in a pattern. The last one, just wait for it, is a little bit different, okay? So don't stumble on that. God spoke these words and said, I am the Lord your God. Lord, have mercy upon us and our to keep this law. You shall not make for yourself any idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that, that is on the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. The Lord have mercy upon us, and deny our hearts to keep this law. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord have mercy upon us. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. For six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. Honor your father and your mother. Lord, have mercy upon us, and incline our hearts to keep this law. You shall not murder. Lord, have mercy upon us, our to keep this law. You shall not commit adultery. Us, you shall not steal. Us, you shall not you bear a false witness rifle. against your neighbor. Us, our to keep this law. You shall not covet. Right, sure in our hearts. Um, here, with each one, the response is Lord, have mercy, because we do not fulfill, we don't keep the law. Even if you say, like, I've never murdered someone before, read the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, You've heard, do not murder, but I say to you, if you've ever been angry against your brother, you've committed murder in your heart. You've heard it said, Do not commit adultery, but I say to you, if you've ever lusted, After a a woman who's not your wife, you've committed adultery in your heart. Um, He's cutting to the heart and where the problem actually lies. And not just sort of the the ability to perform, uh, to keep the rules, um, but the unseen places of our hearts is where the problem actually lies. And when we you're probably more used to it uh at our morning services when uh we give the summary of the law from Jesus where he says love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, body and soul and love uh your neighbor as yourself. Uh, our response again is Lord have mercy upon us, Christ have mercy upon us. Um because we hear that and we can't help but to to ask for mercy because we're we're never going um to live up to it. And uh the problem is um uh, what lies in the person um, uh, is uh, is this concept Have you heard about original sin before there's a this is helpful to wrap your mind around uh, It's the idea of a the the nature of the, of the the person inherent. It's not about people talk about sin or sins they usually are talking about. Uh, thought, thoughts, words, and deeds—the activity or inactivity, the doing or not doing—but this, this is what is the the um, the disease that lies beneath. It's um, and it affects all of my humanity. All, you know, I'm of course made in the image of God, but I'm also corrupted at the same time. And um, <clears throat> it, it's. Uh, I was trying to think about the, the the closest analogy of disease, and there's a disease called lupus. Have you heard of that before? And from what I understand, it can affect it, symptoms can affect all parts of you in, di- through, in different ways. So it's not just like cancer that might be a tumor in one spot, you know, ca- uh, cancer of the lung or something like that before it's metastasized finally. But lupus is something that it just it can affect your whole entire. Being original sin is kind of like that, and the symptoms of the original sin inside of me are those deeds those are actual sins that I commit and um so this is the the problem that keeps me from uh, living up to the law um, is uh no matter how hard I try to contain myself, I cannot you know it's like um, don't think of a pink elephant right the first thing you're going to do is think of a pink elephant it's like you know, do not murder and do not commit adultery. And you just, you just can't help yourself from uh, not living up to the law because of the places of your heart and my heart. Um, and there are some places in Scripture I can point you to, a lot of places. I probably have too many passages here. I didn't want us to be flipping through Bibles and some of you don't have them. So I just put it all here on paper to sort of jump around on it uh, around here. Um, But there are so many places of Scripture that can bring to your attention to help you understand this concept. Of course, go back and read Genesis chapter 3, you know, the fall of mankind and the curse that God pronounces on um, humanity through Adam and Eve and on the devil and on the ground that uh, that we will fight against to to make a living and and to eat um, crops and things like that. Not only human nature is cursed, but the world that we live in, our relationship with it. We're alienated from God. We're alienated from, from our world. Uh, we're alienated from each other. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so, so that's Genesis chapter 3. That's in the background of all this. In Romans, uh, Paul, in the first seven chapters of Romans, predominantly, is talking about the problem of original sin, not just for the Jews, but for all the nations, for the Greek too. You know, the Jew being the Jews, the Greeks, basically euphemism for everybody else, the Gentiles um, and, and the world. So the problem is evenly distributed. By the way, this, uh, this philosophy is called a low versus a high anthropology. Um, I have a very snake belly low anthropology when it comes to people. Um, uh, whereas a high anthropology Oprah Winfrey you know um, Joel Osteen uh, people who have a very um, positive idea of what people are capable of Um, so here's Romans chapter three where Paul basically strings together a bunch of citations from the Psalms to help us get at this idea Um, uh, on page two there we have we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, we've already, in the first two chapters, um, are under sin. And by that I mean original, by that he means original sin. As it is written, and these are the citations from the Psalms, no one is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. In the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law... Remember the law we just read. Whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped. And the whole world may be held accountable to God, for by works of the law no human being will be justified in His sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And so the thing that's helpful about the law is it highlights for us our corruption. Um, uh, the law commands something, but it's impotent to 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 get us to do the thing. So the law will say, you know, at the very first. Um, uh, God spoke these w- words and said, "I'm the Lord your God. The first law is He's the only God. It, it, but that law is um, incapable of causing me to believe that and not to have false idols. But it certainly does this. It highlights my need. It highlights it highlights that inability. It's like a mirror. It's kind of what Paul's saying here at that that, that those final verses here in, in Romans chapter three. Uh, the law holds up a mirror. I often talk about this uh, in um, old colonial churches, like in Virginia and South Carolina and even places in, in England, um, because they were bringing this architecture to places like Virginia and South Carolina. Is uh, Those old churches uh, used to have up front the Ten Commandments. When you looked forward, you'd see Exodus chapter 20. Um, and basically what it was doing is that you could, it's just like a big mirror. <laughs> so you, you're aware of your sinfulness and need. And so uh, that's kind of what Paul's getting across here. And basically, I mean, this is not stuff people want to hear. You know, No one is righteous. No, not one. Remember Lot? Uh, not Lot. Abraham? Uh, Lot was there. And uh, it was Sodom and Gomorrah. And he's like, you know, uh, God, if there are 50 people in, in Sodom, will you not smite it? What about 40? And, and God says, okay, if they're 40, if they're 30. And they bring it down to 10. Basically, like, if there's one stinking person in Sodom, will you not smite it? Uh, and it just, no one was righteous. No one was righteous. Uh, and that's that's uh, true uh, for all of humanity. Well, if that's sort of the condition, um, sort of broadly speaking. I mean, all, I'm speaking in generalities here so far. What about you? <laughs> you know, what about you particularly? And the place to go to hold up the mirror to yourself um, is uh, the end of Romans chapter seven, when he's bringing you know it's just this the climax of all he's saying so far in those first seven chapters here at the end. Uh, Paul The language here is a little bit complicated because he uses the word law in two different ways, okay? Pay attention to that. He's using the law, first of all, to talk about what I've talked about uh, in terms of God's law. But he also uses the same word to talk about a principle, like it just happens to be this way. You see what I'm saying? So sort of pay attention to that when he kind of, you have to sort of do gymnastics when you're reading it. So this is the end of Romans chapter seven. For I do not understand my own actions. I mean, think of Mike Lindell, you know, the crackhead who started My Pillow. For, or you. Really think about you. Fill in the blank. What is your crack cocaine? For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, is, that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You know, I don't want to be on a 14 to 19 day crack binge. Um, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law, a principle, that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law or principle waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Um, <clears throat> uh, you know, it's it's sad news indeed, but uh, I find it uh, to be accurate for my own condition. I don't know about you that... Um, There are things in the world that I know I ought to do and I try for a while and it might even be for a long while, but eventually I fail. Uh, And there are things that I know that I ought not to do uh, and for some reason I can't stop doing them. As a matter of fact, I might conclude to myself and resolve that I'm going to stop a particular action and within 30 seconds turn around and actually... Go ahead and, do it. it was, it's like it just, it can't, it just like it just comes out of me and I can't, I can't control it and I lose sight of the thing that I just resolved to do. That's why New Year's resolutions fail. Um, you know, and, uh, by January 7th, um, or whenever it is. <laughs> um, and so, uh, I, I don't have enough time to go through this. I did bring in some other, the, the following scripture citations explain kind of the concept that I'm next going to present to you. So you can you can meditate on that at home. But I just want to, um, before I open it to discussion, um, I want to talk about all this in terms of our relationship to God. Because um, if we are weak and basically spiritually dead... Um, uh, and unable to do the things that we know we ought to do and unable to stop doing the things we, we know we ought not to do. How can we have a relationship with God that is saving? Now, there are, um, uh, there are a few different paradigms to think about how we can approach God that you'll hear in, um, the world, in the church, And throughout church history, this has been uh, a a major battleground. This is a a huge topic of contention when it came to the Protestant Reformation. Um, But uh, um, some, so if this is God, the Trinity, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, right? And this is people, you can think of you. Uh, That's why I brought in Jacob's Ladder, the Tower of Babel. And then the quotation from John where he talks about uh, the the ladder being uh, Jesus on which the angels ascend and descend. But uh, you can think about the, if God's in heaven, we're down here. How do we get to God? People will either talk about it in one of kind of three broad strokes. I mean, there are more nuances to this, but there are three sort of broad strokes. Either... uh, The relationship is fully dependent on my ability to send to God. To have relationship to him by my own strength and desire. Others will, in a varying degree, talk about God meeting us or us meeting God somewhere along the continuum. This is kind of like God helps those who help themselves. Either he initiates and we respond or we initiate and he grasps after us. Or you can have a philosophy that says we are spiritually dead zombies and we need God to come all the way down to us and revivify us. Um, and that's, this is the high anthropology. And this is the low anthropology over here. Um, that it's, we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. Um, uh, uh, uh there is no health in us, miserable offenders down here. And so it, it, it requires you uh, to come to us, God, um, because we are original sinners, uh, and I'm too weak to even grasp the first rung of the ladder. Um, um, and uh, there, there's been historic fights over this back in uh, the early church. There was a guy named Pelagius who had this philosophy that uh, it's, we have the strength, and actually we don't, we don't, we're not original sinners. We become sinners because we we are corrupted by the other people in the world and the things that are done to us. But basically, we're inherently good and we can um, attain after God for a relationship. There are people since then who've had this sort of philosophy and, and, and we've historically called that semi-Pelagianism because it's not necessarily the same thing. It's some um, uh, middle way and then on the other extreme, Pelagius had a huge argument with a guy named Augustine. St. Augustine, you've heard of him? Um, St. Augustine, Florida is named after him. It, it, this was his philosophy, that no, we're, we're, we're just too terribly weak. We need God to come down. And that is helpful for understanding the incarnation of Jesus Christ, becoming human um, and, and, and living among us, being one of us, to 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 die and rise and ascend in our stead. Um, God came down at Christmas uh, is, the, is the sort of idea. And so, uh, gosh, what, what I do want to do, though, before we have discussion is uh, all that in mind. Now, I hope that's helpful for understanding if we go back to the thirty nine articles of religion, which uh, <clears throat> we'll just we'll look at the old language because that'll take too much time. I forgot. um I was gonna hand out I have the, the updated language version over there that you all have. But let's take a look at the Elizabethan language version just for fun. Um so this is article nine on original or birth sin. Original sin uh standeth not in the following of Adam as the plagians do vainly talk, but it is the fault and corruption of the nature of every man that naturally is engendered of the offspring of Adam, whereby man is very far gone from original righteousness and is of his, own, uh, of his own nature inclined to evil, so that the flesh lusteth always contrary to the spirit. And therefore in every person born into this world that deserveth God's wrath and damnation, and this infection of nature doth remain, yea, in them that are regenerated, whereby the lust of the flesh is not subject to the law of God. And although there is no condemnation for them that believe and are baptized, yet the apostle, that's St. Paul, Uh, doth confess that concupiscence and lust hath of itself the nature of sin. What's going on here? Uh, (laughs) um, Basically explaining uh, in a very pithy statement, Elizabethan language, all that I've sort of talked about in terms of original sin, uh, lying at our core. And even here's the here's the kicker. Even uh, professed, regenerated, baptized Christians are still contain original sin. Uh, pe- Christians are pe- people too. <laughs> yeah. Christians are people too. Okay, that's sort of the punchline here at the very bottom. Um, and so, even though uh, uh, the law, in terms of my relationship with God, no, no longer op- applies to me, it still conv- convicts me of my sinfulness, and I cry out for Lord, the Lord's mercy. Um, and so, that's that's the, the 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 corruption that lies beneath the lupus of sin, as it were, right? And here's the here's the here's the real controversial statement about free will, um, the, the 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 thing that um, you you uh, might have trouble understanding because the world tries to talk about our free will. Okay, um, the the articles in the Bible say we don't have the opposite of a free will. We have a, So if this is the free will and this is the no free will at all, we have somewhere over here is called a bound will. We have a will. It's just slave to original sin. It's slave to the corruption. So here, let's read this of free will. The condition of man after the fall of Adam is such that he cannot turn and pre- He cannot climb the ladder. He cannot turn and prepare himself by his own natural strength and good works to faith and calling upon God. Wherefore, we have no power to do works pleasant and acceptable to God without the grace of God by Christ preventing us that we may have a goodwill and working with us when we have that goodwill. Um, so it's by God's grace coming down to us that we're able to finally do the things that we're, we ought to do, um, etc. Um, and so so to leave you with some hope, though, before we, we leave, let me read the very end of chapter 7. I skips. The last two verses so I can come to this at the very end and we'll pick up next time talking about uh, Romans chapter eight, verse one. Okay? but here's the end of chapter seven. Wretched man that I am! (laughs) Exclamation point. Who will deliver me from this body of death? I am a walker. You know, I'm a zombie. Who will deliver me? Who will bring this body back to be a warm body that is alive and bear the fruits of good works? Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord! Exclamation point again. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. Uh, th- there is a solution. We're not nihilists, right? Okay, so that sounds really terrible, <laughs> but there is hope at the end of the day. So that's human nature with about three or four minutes to talk. Any questions, pushbacks, concerns. We've talked about this before, but I feel like when you have that view, this low view of humanity, it sounds depressing to somebody that has a high view. Yeah. But it's, it's so freeing in your marriage, with your relationship with your children. You're, you're more forgiving. And, and you end up pointing to your own sin and forgiving others. And it's, it's actually a beautiful, optimistic Yeah. You know, Sure. You know, I feel the same way. It doesn't look like that. Yeah, I'm always tempted when people say, "What's your favorite verse in the Bible?" to say Romans chapter uh, seven, verse 24. But I think I need to add to that. Um, <laughs> Romans chapter eight, verse one, which we'll talk about next time. Um, yeah, for all that reason, that you know, I think um, my marriage is better for it. Right. My parenting is better for it. Uh, that kind of thing. Um, because now I can actually look upon humanity and have compassion right. to to say, well, they're all just crackheads like me. <laughs> <laughs> like any time a Christian in the public eye falls or something comes out in his past and it's, you know, it's this huge... And it, the, the world just condemns them. Like, oh, they were never a good person in the first place. Like, yeah. like I keep waiting on Tim Tebow to make a mistake. You know, Hasn't he? he, he Hasn't he? I don't know. I don't, he's, he's been under this he, microscope. He's made mistakes. And when he does, That's or that. if he has, like, I'm, I mean, he's here. You know? And right. He, it yeah. have, it's not going to change my view of him, but it will of the world, because they huh. have a high view of humanity. And, and, you know, actually, what happens often with these sort of mega pastors or yeah. superstars yeah. like that, is you, um, the, the, because the world has a very high anthropology, I mean, all of hu- human history and, you know, just watch movies, rom coms, or whatever, right? Has a very high view of humanity. Um, someone who's a senior pastor of a huge church and becomes um, sort of a rock star, th- you have to maintain a certain facade. Mm. And heavy lies the crown. And so when you crack, you fall big time. And that's what happens with celebrities too, right? Because you, the, 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 the corruption <clears throat> is trying to be bottled up. <clears throat> and you try to put a lid on a volcano, you know, and it's going to, the burst is going to be even, the the boom's going to be even bigger when you try to contain uh, the, the, the problem. I love your book. I mean, oh it, 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 I just, uh, yeah yeah so i um uh, so i uh've asked each teacher every time to bring in um a suggestion for reading um and uh Gerhard Ferdy's is a, a Lutheran scholar who um I really like he helps my thinking a lot um several years ago with another book that I think's a little too complicated um even though it's thin and so i recently came across this one um, which is i think more for a popular audience and it's called where god meets man luther's down to earth approach to the gospel where god meets man where god meets man luther's down to earth theology. so this is what he talks about the spiritual ladder in here and how that's been a perennial problem in christianity is a misunderstanding of salvation when it comes to to, to us and, and God's work. Well, the bells are tolling. Next time we'll talk about the gospel of grace, and this is that's the operation is, is grace coming down. Uh, let's pray before we leave. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for um, uh, for sending your Son Jesus Christ to condescend to us miserable offenders and give us the grace day by day to ever more beg for your mercy when we are confronted with our original sinfulness, Lord. And we do praise you and thank you that we have a hope at the end of the story. All these things uh, for the sake of the same Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.